Chapter thirty two of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tige Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter thirty two. The Conclusion. The next morning, as soon as I awaked, I found my eldest son sitting by my bedside, who came to increase my joy with another turn of fortune in my favour first having released me from the settlement that i had made the day before in his favour he let me know that my merchant who had failed in town was arrested at antwerp and there had given up effects to a much greater amount than what was due to his creditors my boy's generosity pleased me almost as much as this unlooked-for good fortune but i had some doubts whether i ought in justice to accept his offer while i was pondering upon this sir william entered the room to whom i communicated my doubts his opinion was that as my son was already possessed of a very affluent fortune by his marriage i might accept his offer without any hesitation his business however was to inform me that as he had the night before sent for the licences and expected them every hour he hoped that i would not refuse my assistance in making all the company happy that morning a footman entered while we were speaking to tell us that the messenger was returned and as i was by this time ready i went down where i found the whole company as merry as affluence and innocence could make them however as they were now preparing for a very solemn ceremony their laughter entirely displeased me i told them of the grave becoming and sublime deportment they should assume upon this mystical occasion and read them two homilies and a thesis of my own composing in order to prepare them yet they still seemed perfectly refractory and ungovernable even as we were going along to church to which i led the way all gravity had quite forsaken them and i was often tempted to turn back in indignation in church a new dilemma arose which promised no easy solution this was which couple should be married first my son's bride warmly insisted that lady thornhill that was to be should take the lead but this the other refused with equal ardour protesting that she would not be guilty of such rudeness for the world the argument was supported for some time between both with equal obstinacy and good breeding but as i stood all this time with my book ready i was at last quite tired of the contest and shutting it i perceive cried i that none of you have a mind to be married and i think we had as good go back again for i suppose there will be no business done here to-day this at once reduced them to reason the baronet and his lady were first married and then my son and his lovely partner i had previously that morning given orders that a coach should be sent for my honest neighbour flamborough and his family by which means upon our return to the inn we had the pleasure of finding the two miss flamboroughs alighted before us mr jenkinson gave his hand to the eldest and my son moses led up the other and i have since found that he has taken a real liking to the girl and my consent and bounty he shall have whenever he thinks proper to demand them we were no sooner returned to the inn but numbers of my parishioners hearing of my success came to congratulate me but among the rest were those who rose to rescue me and whom i formerly rebuked with such sharpness I told the story to Sir William, my son-in-law, who went out and reproved them with great severity, but finding them quite disheartened by his harsh reproof, he gave them half a guinea apiece to drink his health and raise their dejected spirits. 
Soon after this we were called to a very genteel entertainment, which was dressed by Mr. Thornhill's cook, and it may not be improper to observe with respect to that gentleman that he now resides in quality of companion at a relation's house, being very well liked and seldom sitting at the side-table, except when there is no room at the other, for they make no stranger of him. His time is pretty much taken up in keeping his relation, who is a little melancholy in spirits, and in learning to blow the French horn. My eldest daughter, however, still remembers him with regret, and she has even told me, though I make a great secret of it, that when he reforms she may be brought to relent. But to return, for I am not apt to digress thus, when we were to sit down to dinner our ceremonies were to be renewed. The question was whether my eldest daughter, as being a matron, should not sit above the two young brides, but the debate was cut short by my son George, who proposed that the company should sit indiscriminately, every gentleman by his lady. This was received with great approbation by all, excepting my wife, who I could perceive was not perfectly satisfied, as she expected to have had the pleasure of sitting at the head of the table, and carving all the meat for all the company. But notwithstanding this, it is impossible to describe our good humour. I can't say whether we had more wit amongst us now than usual, but I am certain that we had more laughing, which answered the end as well. One jest I particularly remember. Old Mr. Wilmot drinking to Moses, whose head was turned another way, my son replied, Madam, I thank you. Upon which the old gentleman, winking upon the rest of the company, observed that he was thinking of his mistress. At which jest I thought the two Miss Flamboroughs would have died with laughing. As soon as dinner was over, according to my old custom, I requested that the table might be taken away, to have the pleasure of seeing all my family assembled once more by a cheerful fireside my two little ones sat upon each knee the rest of the company by their partners i had nothing now on this side of the grave to wish for all my cares were over my pleasure was unspeakable it now only remained that my gratitude and good fortune should exceed my former submission in adversity end of chapter thirty two that is the end of the vicar of wakefield by oliver goldsmith